0: Hello and welcome to the Strategica podcast from the Hoover Institution, analyzing the intersection of military history and contemporary national security concerns. You can find us online at hoover.org forward slash publications forward slash Strategica. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and today we examine the topic of the most recent issue of Strategica, Can ISIS Create a Viable Caliphate? And I am joined now by the author of one of the essays in this issue, Peter Mansour the General Raymond E. Mason Jr. Chair of Military History at The Ohio State University, retired Army colonel and, of course, a member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. Pete, thanks for joining us.
1: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: So let's start big picture. You talk in your piece at Strategica about four goals that have animated radical Islam, whether it's in the form of al-Qaeda or now groups like ISIS. and, And you define those goals as, one, chase the U.S. out of the Muslim world. Two, co-opt the states in that part of the world. Three, destroy Israel, and four, establish a new caliphate. If you're grading them on their own terms, based on those goals, how are they doing right now, and how does that compare to where they've been in recent history?
1: Well, actually, they're they're not doing too bad. If you uh, if you look at what's going on, they have succeeded in. Um, making the American public very isolationist, very uh, uh, anti-interventionist in the Islamic world. The American people really don't want to be involved there. And so chasing the American um, forces out of uh, the Middle East, um, I would give them a grade of about a B minus on that so far. Um, the uh, the second goal of co-opting or destroying uh, local governments, um, You know, they probably get about a a B plus, A minus right now. They've uh, upset uh, both Iraq and Syria. They've established a proto-state spanning the Iraqi-Syrian border, and uh, they're succeeding in destabilizing a lot of the uh, regional governments. Uh, Much of this is serendipity. It's not necessarily anything ISIS did, but uh, they're taking advantage of it. Uh, on destroy Israel, they get they get an F, um, but it's really a grade of incomplete as they haven't really right. taken that on yet. Uh, and then the the final one, established the caliphate. Although I would say that um, they've established one in name, it's not exactly the the caliphate that they're they're looking for that spans the the broader Middle East, North Africa, Central Asia. Um, you know, the caliphate they're thinking of is it uh, goes all the way from Spain through North Africa through the Middle East all the way into Central Asia. So they've established one. It's a, it's a small beginning, uh, but we'll give them a grade of incomplete on that as well.
0: To what extent is that vision of a, a caliphate and if we can call it this, it, it, an elite vision versus a popular one, by, by which I mean – is this a vision that they sort of have to impose on the populations in that part of the world or is there a, is there a public hungering for something like that?
1: You know, it's one that uh, they're going to impose, uh, but once they, once they bring out that idea, a lot of people – it resonates with a lot of uh, people in that part of the world who look on sort of the golden age of Islam – uh, in the 8th, 9th, 10th centuries as, as something they can aspire to. And it's really a misreading of what made that era great. Uh, if you look at the caliphates of, of that period, they were much more open, for instance, to other religions and to learning than, than the current groups of, uh, of, uh, jihadists and Islamists. Um, so it, it is something that resonates sort of in a warm, uh, way with with the islamic people but uh as soon as they see the reality of uh of isis and the sorts of ideology that it espouses uh they quickly turn away so uh, i'm not sure that this is going to be uh something that resonates for the long haul
0: well, and you bring up the point that we've had a a small experiment with whether these kind of Islamists could actually govern when they took the reins of power back in Iraq in 2006 when you had al-Qaeda there take over Al-Anbar province. They failed in that instance. Explain what happened there.
1: It turns out that al-Qaeda and its offshoots are much better at terrorizing people and uh, keeping them under their their thumb than it is at governing and actually making making people uh, happy with being under Al-Qaeda control. Um, Al-Qaeda was unable to govern Al-Anbar province in any sort of meaningful way, and uh, it remains to be seen whether its uh, reincarnation, uh, as ISIS, will succeed in doing so in any meaningful way as well. They have made a better attempt. They're trying to recruit specialists, and uh, they're trying to actually provide essential services to the people of their area, but they're they're also continuing their very uh, brutal campaign of terror to keep people in line, and this in the end I think will uh, cause their dissolution.
0: So is is the way to read that, if that's your projection for how it probably – plays out is the way to read this is that it's actually – it's something that is sort of inherent to how Islamists run government. It's not – in other words, it's not situational. It's not that they can you know, learn the lessons of, of the past whether it's in Anbar or anywhere else, but that the very nature of the project is such that you're constantly going to be running up against these these problems as long as you're being loyal to the Islamist ideology.
1: Aaron um, I, I think the problem is that they have a fundamental disconnect between their ideology and what it takes to run a modern nation state. Right. Um, and th- so they, they can attempt to put a veneer of modernity to uh, this very brutal ideology that they espouse, but it can never su- supplant it. And in the end, uh, they'll find that, uh, that the two are incompatible visions of, of how states work. And it will be, uh, I think, their undoing in the end.
0: What would it take for a group like ISIS to – you hear this phrase to govern effectively and by which I mean to win enough popular support to be stable. Is that, is that just a matter of making the trains run on time? I mean if they could make up for these past mistakes as far as not delivering public services, would that be adequate? Can you get away with some of the brutality that Sharia law involves if, if you're doing that or does it actually require a, a tempering of that? that violent side?
1: Well, ISIS is so violent that uh, provided they have enough uh, jihadists under their command, they could maintain control of uh, an area for quite some time, uh, regardless of whether they uh, provide essential services or not, um, because they just keep people so terrorized that they're afraid to rise up. Um, You know, the question is how long? In, in Anbar, it wasn't very long. I mean, less than a year or two years and the tribes of Al Anbar had had enough. And so if they provide essential services and uh, govern effectively, it will lengthen that period of time out it, into the future. But in the end, their, their brutal ways will still be their undoing if the local people uh, decide they've had enough of, of, uh, of the kind of abuse that they suffer. The question is, Will there be anyone uh, who can help the local people rise up against ISIS? In Iraq in 2006, 2007, 2008, U.S. forces, and to a lesser extent Iraqi forces, filled that role. Uh, But given uh, President Obama's um, unwillingness to intervene on the ground, it remains to be seen whether there will be anyone that can help the locals rise up against ISIS in order to overthrow it.
0: So let's put you in that context. If if you're sitting with the president's National Security Council, you've just presented to them the same case that you've laid out for our listeners here. What should be the policy implications of that analysis? What what are the action items we need to walk away with as far as how we deal with ISIS based on your reading of the situation?
1: So a strategy is broken up into ends, ways, and means, and I view ISIS as a, a threat to the United States and the Western world. It will destabilize the Middle East, put energy resources at risk, put many of our allies, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and Jordan at risk, and Iraq as well. Uh, and it will eventually inject terror back into Europe and the United States. Uh, given that, if I were advising the president, I, I would say that our goal should be to destroy ISIS, not defeat, not contain, not degrade, but to destroy it. And I would do so using a hybrid war methodology, that is, to make ISIS confront more forms of contact than it can handle in the form of uh, regular conventional forces, Iraqi forces and Kurdish Peshmerga, in the form of irregular forces, in the form of the Free Syrian Army, and a revitalized tribal rebellion against uh, uh, ISIS on both sides of the Iraqi-Syrian border, which in effect does not exist. And a much enhanced uh, air campaign, uh, with U.S. aircraft and any allied aircraft that want to, um, want to uh, take part. And then, um, and then to fight the war of ideas as well on the internet and in the mosques of uh, the Middle East and get, uh, regional partners to take part in that as well. I would advise the president to uh, develop a coalition uh, in the region and, and worldwide of like-minded states that want to destroy ISIS. And I think uh, Turkey and Jordan could provide basing opportunities for U.S. aircraft and special forces. Saudi Arabia could bankroll the operation. Uh, Europe could uh, support humanitarian assistance and per- perhaps special forces and aircraft as well. Uh, and then in terms of the means I would argue for a much enhanced air component. I would use special forces, Green Berets, to advise, train, and assist uh, all of the forces I laid out, including tribal elements and the Free Syrian Army. And um, and I would have a much enhanced equipping effort, and then uh, I would apply many, many more uh, intelligence resources to the region to provide targeting data and to let us know what's happening on the other side of the Iraqi-Syrian border. So this would be in all about 10 to 15,000 US forces, uh, most of them uh, special forces, uh, advisors and trainers, uh, a, a large air component. Uh, and it would take uh, a matter of years probably given how entrenched ISIS is in the region to root them out and to destroy them, but I think it can be done. <laughs>
0: So final question I'll put to you then. If that's the case as it should play out, let's talk about it as it as it likely will play out, in your estimation anyway. Looking at the situation the way it is now, both on the ground there in the Middle East and with the political response here in the West, in the short term, maybe the, the midterm, what do you think is the, the best and worst case scenario for how this plays out?
1: Well, the most likely case, this is a president who doesn't like to use the military instrument of power and is very reluctant to do so. I think he'll apply uh, some air power in order to, to degrade ISIS, but I think his strategy will, will be one of containment to assist Iraqi forces and Kurdish forces in, um, in fighting uh, ISIS, but not to do much in Syria at all. Um, he'll view the Syrian side of the conflict as somehow mission impossible. Um, the worst case is uh, that ISIS can consolidates its hold on the area under its control and then <clears throat> destabilizes uh, the remainder of Iraq. And you end up with a, uh, a 30 years war, a religious conflict between Sunni and Shia in the heart of Mesopotamia. Uh, the best case is that the strategy succeeds in, in, uh, degrading ISIS and, uh, perhaps rolling it back in parts of Iraq but, uh, ends up being a one where ISIS is contained but still exists and this problem is then handed off to the next president.
0: All right. Our guest has been Peter Mansour, the General Raymond E. Mason, Jr., Chair of Military History at The Ohio State University. You can read his piece and those by other members of Hoover's Military History Working Group by visiting Strategica at hoover.org forward slash publications forward slash Strategica. That's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-K-A. Pete, thanks for being with us. Thank you. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening.
1: This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.